It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm joined by your host, CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor and Colts beat writer, George Brimmer. This week, we look ahead to Sunday's game against the Titans, hear from center Ryan Kelly, and answer your burning Colts questions. George, we've had the bye week, and we're entering the final stretch of the season. Despite some absolutely horrendous performances this season, it does seem like this team is improving, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, especially on defense. I mean, I think you look at the defensive numbers as a whole, and we talked about this a lot last week on the podcast, but the defensive numbers on the whole still aren't very good, but when you look at the context context of the last three weeks or so here, uh, this defense has been vastly improved. And I think it was most evidence against the Steelers, where where you had a team that was able to, to put some pressure on Ben Roethlisberger for really the first time in, in the past five or six years. They were able to get an interception from Roethlisberger, which anyone who's seen the recent games against Pittsburgh understands how big of a, of a deal that was. Pierre Desir was able to, to pull that one off. Uh, you know, it's just it, the effort has has been there. It's been improving. It's still just not enough. And I think that's what everybody's kind of frustrated with on the outside. You know, the fact that this team is three and seven and, and you can point to so many things where it looks like they've improved uh, or they're getting better. And the end result still doesn't seem to be there. What'll be interesting about this week is you've got some new blood coming in and a lot of that is on the defensive side where they already have been improving. Uh, and now you're going to throw into that mix. Clayton gathers. He's expected to be back. It looks like he's going to be on a pitch count. That's what they like to say, uh, which just basically means they're going to be smart and keep him safe. He hasn't played in a calendar year at this point. Uh, the irony here is that he went out. Last year at home against Tennessee, made a fourth down stop against DeMarco Murray. I think everybody probably remembers that play. Uh, went into the concussion protocol after that game and then started having some troubles with his neck. They diagnosed a herniated disc, decided to, to wait and see if, if rehab could solve the problem. It didn't. And in March, he, he underwent surgery. So, you know, it's been a long, long road back for gathers. I think he was a guy that we weren't sure – we were going to see again, period. I mean, when you look at his playing style, how physical he is, what he does on the football field, that neck injury was something that was of great concern. And so to see him come back, that's going to be a big moment for this team. Uh, emotionally on Sunday, I think, just, just to have him out there on the field with them. But also, as we've talked about throughout the year, he brings something to this team that, that nobody else on the roster does at that safety position. His physicality his ability to get up in the box and, and, and play the run is something the team's been missing and something that nobody else literally brings to, to the table. So I think there's going to be benefits on the field and off the field from that, but it's going to be a, a short kind of a week for him, a short kind of a pitch count. So it'll be interesting to see how they work him back in. And then the other guy that's coming back, and I know you're excited about that, is John Simon, the outside linebacker. And the last time we really saw him, he got hurt in the Jacksonville game, but that was kind of early on. The last time we really saw him on the field was against the Titans in Tennessee, and he had a game that night, uh, I think it included 11 tackles, an interception return for a touchdown. He did a little bit of everything in that game. 
Uh, Chuck Pagano said afterwards that if the Colts had hold on and, and won that contest, he thought that Simon might have been named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, and I don't think he's far off in that assessment. So for him to come back against Tennessee, another big lift for this defense that, as we said, has been playing better. Uh, they still have to close out games better like the rest of the team does. They still have some issues with the inconsistency. But you're seeing the right kind of trend with that with that group. And now to, to get Simon and, and gathers back into the mix, that can only help. Uh, we do have to keep an eye on Matthias Farley. We'll have to see him. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But uh, he showed up on the, the injury report for the first time today uh, with a knee injury. And now you you do have to kind of wonder where, where that's going. Because it, with gathers on a pitch count uh, and Malik Cooker on IR, that leaves Darius Butler and it leaves TJ Green as your safety. So that's something that, that definitely will, will need to be watched uh, and monitored throughout the rest of the week. On the offensive side, there's a big name coming back too, and it's another one I know you're excited about, and that's Eric Swope, the tight end. He should be back out there if all goes well, no setbacks, that sort of thing. And, and I think that's important because we talked about it earlier too. I think we mentioned it last week. You've got a situation where T.Y. Hilton has been asked to carry too big of a load for this offense. And now with Chester Rogers stepping forward last week, six catches and 104 yards and a touchdown for him. And now Eric Swope, who's a deep threat, who, who's going to cause the defense to to send some attention his way. It, it should open up some more things for T.Y. Hilton. So, yeah, this is an improving team. It's a team that needs to, to prove it can finish football games. There's no doubt about that. But I think there's reason, and it's going to sound weird and out of character from, from the conversation that we've had all year, but I, I think there is reason right now for optimism with this football team as they enter the final six-week stretch. Uh, there's one more player that we need to be concerned about, whether he's coming back this week or not. How is Jacoby Brissett progressing through the concussion protocol? Yeah, um, pretty much in the bye week, you sort of hit pause with this kind of thing. So he didn't have a chance to, to advance or, you know, to for that situation to be furthered. But all signs point to him playing on Sunday. He's been in the locker room. Uh, visually, he's okay. We've heard him joking with his teammates. He's not allowed to talk to the media. That's part of the concussion protocol standards. Uh, it's just – it's a league rule, and I, I don't think they want – players discussing what's going on in the protocol for the simple fact that you don't want somebody to say on Wednesday he feels good and he's ready to go and then on Sunday he's still out and it just would raise a lot of questions uh, and and honestly you know full well a concussion is a very unique and, and specific injury it is the kind of thing that you can feel fine one day and the next day it affects you but all signs are that that he's well uh, that he's ready to go. He was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. Thursday's going to be his quote-unquote contact day. Obviously, he's a quarterback, so he's not going to be hit, but there are some things they can do after practice to give him a contact test to make sure that he's okay on that that scale. And then if, if both of those things go well on Friday, he'll see the independent neurologist, and that's the last, that last step. At that point, he would be cleared and be ready to go. And And as I said, it's an unpredictable injury. It's an unpredictable process, but everything at this point points to Jacoby Brissett being ready to go on Sunday. Well, I know the Colts are definitely hoping Jacoby is ready for Sunday for that rematch against the Titans. Nobody is going to forget the way that game finished uh, down in Nashville. It, you know, standing on the sideline watching Henry run away from me. I was like, oh, there, there goes that win. 
Yeah, well, you know, that was the clincher, obviously, the 72-yard run, the longest run of the season uh, by Derrick Henry that, that put it out of reach. It was a 36-22 to final, but it was another one of those games where the whole second half, really, you're scratching your head. Early in the third quarter, Simon intercepts a pass, returns it for a touchdown. The Colts go up 19-9, to and you're thinking – this may be a night where, where they take a step forward and then the rest of the way uh, things fall completely apart. It's something that we've seen too often. I think it was 27-3 to the rest of that game. They end up losing 36-22. to And the big plays at the end, you mentioned the 72-yard run by Henry. It was, I think, a 53-yard touchdown pass by, by Marcus Mariota, who was hobbled in that game, uh, really couldn't move around, really wasn't himself, but he was able to – to get that play made, and uh, I think that one tied it, and and then or maybe it's the one that gave him the lead uh, at twenty nine to twenty two, and it just it was a tremendously bad effort in the second half from a team that's kind of made a habit of really bad second halves. That's one that really stands out. I think that one in in Seattle are probably the two second halves that that most stick with you in terms of completely changing the way the game was being played and towards the end a defense that had played well all day all of a sudden not being able to stop the opposing offense uh, whatsoever and some of that falls back on the Colts offense uh, staying on it not being on the field long enough keeping the defense out there too long I think there's fatigue that that's come into play for the defense here but I would think every member of that team and, and from talking to them this week they certainly feel that way remembers this and wants to get that taste out of their mouth. This is a division rival. It was a team they had won 11 straight games against. And there's a couple games here. That's one of them. Uh, the Cincinnati game, the Pittsburgh game, the Arizona game. That if you can go back and, and you can get a 500 record in those four contests, you'd be 5-5 five and five overall right now. And you'd be seriously talking about setting yourself up for, for a wild card spot as the, the last six weeks of the season come down. So... Here's a chance you can't erase everything that's gone wrong in the in the first ten weeks of the season, but here's a chance to maybe come back and and make up for one of the bigger blunders and and one of the biggest black spots on on the year so far. Well, up next, George goes inside the locker room with center Ryan Kelly. It's time to go inside the locker room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer. As Heather is all too aware Ryan Kelly's one of my favorite players to talk to in the locker room uh, I just really love the kind of throwback era attitude that 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 he brings to play you know uh and he's one of the most consistent players out there uh we talked to him this week because it's it's a big week for the offensive line they're going against Tennessee again Dick LeBeau again uh he literally wrote the book on on zone defense in the NFL on zone blitzing in the NFL He's going to bring pressure from everywhere. He's going to bring pressure constantly. And it's something the Colts are spending a lot of time preparing for this week. So hopefully you enjoy this talk here with uh, starting center Ryan Kelly. To Dick LeBeau defense, what what are some of the challenges when you know that pressure is going to come? Yeah, obviously high pressure. Uh, they're going to disguise where they bring it from. Um, you know, they're going to really try to make you uh, get in third and long, which is you know right where they want you. So uh, early down production is going to be the biggest thing for us. When Coach was talking in, in his press conference earlier, he said when they bring that blitz, you've got to find a way to burn them. Mm-hmm. He said last time around there were a couple plays that when you look at film, that maybe you can hold you know, hold them off just a second or so longer. There's yeah. a big plays there. Is that one of the keys this week? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously you always want to, you know, you don't always want to throw hot in the NFL, but sometimes it's, it's uh, a good route. So uh, obviously, you know, it's been a, it's been a few games since we played them, and, you know, so we have some more film on, on us, and they have some more film on them. So, um, you know, it, it's 
whenever you go out there, you never know what you're going to get. So uh, you, you got to be prepared for everything, and you know, it kind of starts today and just getting uh, every rep that we can see, you know, manageable. And our coaches do a good job of that. Great, great job of, you know, helping us look at that. Jason Pittsburgh before the bye, that's obviously where he came from. Is it yep. similar scheme, similar uh, challenges? Yeah, kind of. You know, they definitely have. Those, those are definitely probably the two highest pressure uh, teams that we see, you know, so far this year. So um, you have to expect that. You know, obviously. When you do that enough, you, you kind of get you, you can get burned by some big plays. So uh, you know we got to take advantage of that and uh, you just get after it. You talked to Frank Gore earlier, and he said you look around the AFC, you're still in the race. Is that kind of the mindset you have to take going into these final six weeks? Yeah, I mean six weeks is still a long time, so it's a lot of ball to play left. And uh, you know obviously we were halfway through our divisional game, so we got you know three more to go. And you know so you never really know what the season's going to hold. And um, you know I feel like the AFC South is always pretty close, so. Uh, take it one game at a time, and you know, we have a big test this week, you know, and redeem ourselves from last for uh, you know earlier in the season. So, I know you look at every division game as, as a big game, but is it home division game make it even a little bit more important? Yeah, I mean, those are always tough games. Division games are always the toughest ones, I think. Um, you know, and it's and obviously when I play at home, you want to win at home. It's, it's tough. Uh, it's tough no matter where you play. You play Monday Night Football against some earlier in the season, and that's a tough place to play as well. So, um, you know, we know it's going to be a dogfight, and so I think if you go into that, you know, knowing that, you'll be fine. Thoughts been made on the defensive side. Some guys coming back healthy this week, but yep. you, you might get some more Denzel Good back into the office a little more. Eric Swope maybe back. Is the offense feel like things are coming together a little bit too? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's tough having those guys out. Uh, those guys are a big role in our in our in our you know production so um you know i feel like we're always kind of rotating guys in and out and you know so at the end of the day who's ever in that starting lineup or whoever's playing is going to do a great job so um you know if you're in the league you know it's because you belong here so um you know we're excited about it and uh you know obviously a great opportunity to go get better thanks to ryan kelly for joining us on horseshoes and hand grenades as you said george it's always a joy to hear ryan kelly just talk football yeah he's a fun guy and and he's there's a couple guys on this team who you look at as just playing football players who you think even if you took away the paycheck they'd be out there in the sand lot playing football you know every every opportunity they get Ryan Kelly's very high up on that list all right it's time for me to reach into the mailbag and quiz George with your Colts questions Pony Express is up next delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL it's the Pony Express Welcome to the mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning Colts question. We got a short list this week, but uh, some really good questions on this list. Our first one comes from at fourth James, and it really doesn't have to do with anything on the field except for what the players are wearing, but I think it's a great question. Uh, Why don't the Colts do a throwback uniform, a blue helmet or an alternate with the bucking horse on the helmet, uh, people would throw money at that stuff. The uniform is boring. I agree. You know me. I want that blue helmet with the bucking horse. I was going to say, I know that this is right up right up your alley. You're, you're at the top of the list of people who would like to see a different uniform. There's a couple obstacles in the way. As far as the helmet goes, league rules changed, I believe, two years ago. And you have to wear the same helmet all year. And that has to do with the concussion situation. They want to make sure that... Once they get that fit and they get your helmet onto your head, that that's all that you have uh, for the for the entire season. So they might be able to to change a decal out. They might be able to wear the bucking horse instead of the horseshoe one week, but to wear a blue helmet or a gray helmet or anything other than their white helmet uh, just would not be allowed under under league rules uh, as they currently stand. And as far as the throwback stuff goes, when you look. You know, all the way back to the Baltimore Baltimore era of this team, the jerseys haven't changed much. So, I would though like to see 
some kind of an alternate uniform idea. So you're going to get to see a little bit of that on December 14th, the Thursday night game for the first time. The Colts are going to take part in the color rush uh, event, I guess, for lack of a better word. Uh, but they will wear all blue that day, not helmets. The helmets will still be white. We talked about why that is, but uh, there'll be blue jerseys and blue pants. I know that that's not enough, and I know that's not really taking it to the to the level that, that this uh, questioner is thinking of. And it'll be interesting to see if that opens the door, to, though, down the road, and if they do want to find some kind of alternate jersey or alternate combination. I know over the years they've wore, uh, I think during the 90s, maybe early 90s, late 80s, they wore blue pants with their white jerseys on the road. Uh, so they have done some different things, different combinations over the years. Maybe it's something worth looking into. I know it's something that you and and obviously this questioner are, are not alone in thinking. I, it's something that we hear a lot about. So it's probably, I'll tell you this much, the league and the team and everybody else, they don't pass up very many marketing opportunities. So I'm sure it's somewhere along the line there's been a discussion. I want them to change Colts blue to that darker blue that they wear on those helmets with the the bucking horse. I think that would be fantastic. It would be a lot sleeker. I wonder if some people would look at that just because of the shape of the horse and see the old Houston Oilers helmets because it it sort of has that that oil rig, you know, <laughs> from a distance. I could it see that. It would be interesting. All right, up next at Day Blue Man says, "I think the general consensus is that the Colts are getting better. We've talked about this." as young players and new additions get more comfortable. So why is it a foregone conclusion that Pagano is losing his job? And do you and Heather B. agree that Chuck deserves to be fired? Well, first of all, I know that you love being included in the question. Thank you, Chuck. So there, and second of all, it's, it's a really good question. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an answer that is multifold. I think part of it is that it's been a foregone conclusion since January, really. I mean, when when Jim Irsay walked into that room in January and fired and announced that that Ryan Grigson was fired, but he was bringing back Chuck Pagano, from that moment on, Pagano's job's been in jeopardy because you knew that a new general manager was going to naturally want his own guy. And I think that what we've seen throughout the course of the year is that Ballard's style of, of – what he wants his team to be and Pagano style coaching style don't mesh all that well. And I think that's it. They're not having the kind of problems that Grigson and Pagano were having in terms of bickering behind the scenes. We haven't heard anything about that. I think their relationship's actually a, a very good one, uh, but I just think it, it's a football philosophy kind of a, a difference. And you've seen that as far back as training camp where they're not necessarily on the same page in, in how they think that this, what they think is best for this team moving forward. So I think that philosophical shift probably has more to do with Pagano's job security than, than any record. And that's why, you know, you can go back and listen to the podcasts from the preseason. And I have always said, I don't think the record really is going to be the determining factor here. And and that's a big part of the reason why. And, And the fact is, Though, even though they are improving, they're still three and seven. You're still at a, a situation win loss wise where nobody thinks this team should be. And so, to answer the second part of the question, I do think that that it's time to move on. Uh, my problems with Pagano are the same as it, it goes back to philosophical issues. I, I just feel like 
he too often has relied on the defense to win games, even when Andrew Luck was healthy. But this year especially, uh, turning over leads, going conservative late in the in the second half and into the fourth quarter, and it leads to these comebacks that you see all the time. I think you need a coach who's going to have a mentality to to put his foot on on the opponent's throat and and step down and in in these these late game uh, problems that that we've seen. I don't know that you can put that all on the coaching staff, but I think that they've contributed. And I think from my standpoint, that's why I support a coaching change. I want to make it clear that I think Chuck Pagano is a good man Mm -hmm. to do not to do what he has done since he beat cancer. uh, The things he does in the community with that. um, And just, you know, in dealing with him, he is a good man. I just don't think he's a very good NFL football coach, uh, head coach. Now, you know, defensive coordinator, probably better fit for him. I think he he struggles with managing all the logistics of the game. I also see a defensive coach whose defense hasn't been good the entire time he's been here. And that has been my biggest struggle with his tenure. Um, you know, I, I grew up with the 85 Bears. That's, that's my... That's what made me love football. And so defense is what I like to watch. And it hasn't been good. And then you have an asset like Andrew Luck. And you're putting the reins on him every single week. You know, you don't open up that offense. You don't try to open up that offense. Um, Even though the few times you do, you find success. So I, George will probably tell you, I thought Chuck should have been fired three years ago. Um, But. But, you know, I, I never like to see a guy lose their jobs. Um, and knowing, you know, knowing these guys and for as long as Chuck's been around, knowing his wife and um, you know, the, the people that count on him, you never want to see somebody lose their job. But he deserves to at this point. And, you know, the NFL is a high stakes game. And, uh, you know, people have to come and go when things aren't going the right way. And they're not. So I think they've almost reached the point, too, where it's what's best for for everybody it, it's best for the team I think they need the new voice they need the new direction you got a new general manager you want to go ahead and and change over everything and and let Chris Ballard implement his program which means his coaches but it's also probably at a point where I think Chuck Pagano could benefit from from different scenery from from a new uh new environment and I I'm with you I think he I've said this before I think I've said it on this podcast maybe not uh, I really think he'd be an excellent college coach. I, I think him coming into a high school kid's living room, I think he would win over the oh, whole yeah. family. If I'm a parent, um, my kid's going to that school. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I think he'd be an outstanding recruiter. And I think because his message, you know, the, the roster would flip over every four to five years, I think that message would never get old. And, and that optimism, the way that he looks at the world – is something in that environment, I think it would do really, really well. I think he'd be an outstanding college coach. But I also think he's the guy that you hire when your program is in dire straits. He gets you from really bad to competitive. I'm not sure he's the guy that gets you from competitive to champion. So I think like a, a job like Cleveland, I think, would be a good job for him down the road just because I think he's the guy that can go into a situation that everybody thinks is hopeless and give that team some reason to believe. Um, I just think that that his personality is fine. 
the, the guys still love him. And, and that's something that I think is, is evident. When you talk about them improving, when they lost to Jacksonville 27 to nothing, I, like many people, thought that's it. That's the last game Chuck Pagano coached here. They stuck with him. And that night, one of the reasons I thought he was done is that's one of the few times I've watched this football team in the last six years and thought they quit, that there was not effort out there. There was not – they weren't behind – they weren't all in for to use the team's vernacular. And that's changed in the last three weeks. You know, they, they gave much better effort against Cincinnati. They beat Houston, and they gave great effort against Pittsburgh since that, that – awful awful performance against the Jaguars that speaks to the fact that he still has the locker room but I think that his overall message it's not that it's wearing thin it's just it's run its course so I think you know let him go and take his program to another city and another franchise and I think he will find some level of success all right staying with coaching at Robbie Gibbons Co. would like to know possible candidates for the 2018 season and when you think Pagano slash his staff will be fired. Hey, you know, we've talked about some guys already. I know Dave Tobe's name is going to be out there a million times, the special teams coach for the Chiefs, and, and he's obviously got connections to the current general manager. You're going to hear some typical names. I'm sure David Shaw's name will come up, the Stanford coach, because of his connection to Andrew Luck and the fact that he's one of the guys that's a hot college coaching candidate. So his name is going to come up for a lot of jobs. I'm sure some people will mention Jim Harbaugh, but I really, really don't think that's going to happen. I don't see that happening. Uh, And I'm sure John Gruden's name is going to come up because until he takes a job, his name is going to come up for every open job at every level. I think when high school jobs come open, people start talking about John Gruden right now. It doesn't matter. Uh, So I'm sure you're going to hear those names. The, The name that I've been hearing most recently uh, I guess the new hot name on, on on the radar is Matt Nagy. He's the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Obviously another guy with ties to to uh, Chris Ballard and seems to be sort of the hot coordinator right now. He's the guy whose name is gaming, gaining steam. He's a former quarterback in the Arena League, which gives him some some of the same background as Jay Gruden, who's had some success in Washington. And he's got that same kind of young mind, young offensive mindset that has worked so well for Sean McVay out in L.A. with the Rams this year. You know full well that I'm not just saying this postscript. I really liked Sean McVay last year, and yep. I thought that that was a guy that whoever hired him, was, they were going to be very happy. But he's exceeded what I thought that he could do even out there. So uh, I think that people see Nagy in that same kind of mold. Um, so I, that's one name that I would watch. But I guarantee you between now and January 1st, you're going to hear – a hundred new names and then from that point on word uh once the jobs opened up it's it's only going to multiply tenfold uh those are the names that i'm hearing right now i'm sure you're going to hear tons more as for when uh pagano is fired i i said this last week and, and i'll say it again i fully 100 percent believe he's going to get the whole season uh, it didn't happen after the Jacksonville game. It didn't happen on the bye week. And those were the two spots that you would think if they were going to happen in season, those those were the most likely spots. Almost nothing this year has been predictable, however. Uh, so who knows? You know, maybe maybe it happens in late December. Uh, but my, my real belief is that that's something you're going to see on January 1st, the day after the season ends. Here's a question that's a little off topic that's coming from me. Because I always wonder it every time this time of year comes around. 
And it's a guy that I really like that I think should be a head coach in this league, but his name never seems to come up. And it might have to do with somebody with where he is. But that's New England's defensive quarter, Matt Patricia. Yeah, you know, he's always a hot name. And and I think he's on the list for a lot of people, but I don't know even how much he's actually interviewed. So You never hear, oh, he was, you know, he had gone to Cleveland this week to, to interview. Yeah. You never hear that. I think he's in a situation, too, where he can be picky. He and Josh McDaniels can honestly just sit back and and take the interviews that they want to take and nothing else because – when you're a coordinator under Belichick, what's the worst case scenario? You're going to keep winning 11 to 14 games a year, be in the Super Bowl discussion every year. It's not a bad gig, you know. Uh, so I think they're waiting for the perfect spot, and it'll be interesting to see. I think his name will come up, uh, and I've seen it in some circles connected to the Colts. It's just you never know what what Indianapolis is thinking and especially when it comes to New England you know, there is that rivalry there and and both sides of that you wonder uh how much openness there is really from the coach's standpoint and from the front office standpoint and making those kind of things happen I always wondered if he just didn't want to anger the hood that's you know that's part of it too <laughs> all right uh Robbie had a second part of his question he wanted to know uh what is Jacoby's Brissett's future look like and other than that other than it being really bright. Yeah, it's extraordinarily bright. Uh, he's one of the more fascinating, I think, case studies right now in the NFL because we really don't know what's going to happen with Andrew Luck, and that determines so much of Jacoby Brissett's future. If Luck is back and healthy, as the Colts expect, and, and ready to go for next season, and he looks like Andrew Luck again, then I would think that Jacoby Brissett likely is on the trade market in 2019, which will be the final year of his contract, uh, and, and starting somewhere else in that 2019 season. But so much depends on, on Luck's availability. I think Brissett right now is a guy that you've got to hold on to because you don't know, one, if Andrew Luck's going to be able to come back, and two what he's going to look like, how long it's going to take for him to get back to the level of play that, that we know and, and expect from Andrew Luck. So I think for now, Brissett's future is just what he's doing, you know, learning this system and, and getting better every day, uh, getting better with every week. We, we talk about some of the numbers. I don't want to go too much into this because I know we're going to talk about him a little bit later in the show, but we talk about some of the numbers around him. He's one 60-yard touchdown pass away from tying the, the, the franchise record for 60-yard touchdown pass in the season. I mean, some of the things he's done this year are pretty remarkable, and I think his future could be as the starting quarterback in Indianapolis. It all just kind of depends on, on what else happens, and it so much depends on number 12. Our last question of the night comes from at Nine Truck, and it is a good one. If Roger Goodell allowed you to select a free pick for the Colts before the draft started without taking away the projected top 10 pick, who would it be? All right. First of all, I just want to say that this needs to be a rule change. I think that the commissioner does need to let one media member from every team make a pick pre-draft <laughs> for that team. I think that would be an outstanding way for the league to go. Uh, but after supporting that move, I would say Saquon Barkley. Just because if I'm getting a free pick and I still have my first round pick and I can fill a need there, I'm, I'm going to go with 
the running back who many people believe is the best prospect regardless of position in this draft. And I think when you see what Ezekiel Elliott has done for the offense and the team in Dallas and, and really what his absence has done to that team in Dallas and what Leonard Fournette has done in Jacksonville where every passing week Blake Bortles is, is, is a little bit less important to that team and, and therefore the Jaguars are a little bit better football team. Uh, I think having a running back like that, whether it's Andrew Luck under center, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, whether it's some other rookie quarterback uh, who may be coming in, it's running game is a quarterback's best friend and it opens up so much more for the offense. So my pick would be Saquon Barkley if I was given free reign. And I totally think I should. <laughs> well, if I had free reign, um, it's going to be one or two players that are going to be coming out of college this year and George probably knows who those two players would be but one would be Wyatt Teller he's an offensive lineman from Virginia Tech uh, he is a USA football kid who just has the greatest work ethic a great heart he switched from being a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman because that's where they had a, a need at Virginia Tech um, he's a great football player great kid uh, so that would be my free pick so that he was on the Colts because that's where I want him. Uh, the other one is another USA football kid, and that would be Shaquille Griffin. His brother, Shaquille, is playing for the Seahawks right now and, and doing a great job learning from Richard Sherman as a cornerback. Um, but Shaquille is just an amazing athlete in his own right, and he's got an amazing story. He uh, was born without the lower portion of his arm, so he only has one hand and he would tell you that it's not a disability. In fact, I saw him on Twitter this week, like laying into somebody. Uh, it was the the coach of the opposing team, whoever um, Central Florida is facing this week, was trying to compliment him and saying that, you know, despite his disability, that he's an amazing player. And he was like, it is not a disability. I don't view it that way. I don't see it that way. Um, and he has had an unbelievable season. Um at Central Florida, so I, I really he even got his first touchdown this year. He's a he's plays on defense, but he uh, was able to run back a fumble this year. So uh, I'm just so happy for that kid, and I would love to see him on the Colts as well. So if I had a free pick, and there was no consequences from it, it would be one of those two kids. Yeah, you know, I, I saw Chris Ballard in, in the cafeteria today when we were going to practice. I I should have just slipped him a little note just to let him know. Yeah, you know Wyatt Teller and, and Shaquem Griffin. Yeah, I I plan to have a discussion with him before before the drafts just so he knows that that is my priorities and that's what he needs to follow. Um, so that's it for our mailbag this week, George. Why don't you tell the listeners how they can get their questions to you? Yeah, absolutely. You can hit me up on Twitter at GM Brimmer, or you can look up my professional Facebook page, which is George M Brimmer. All right. When we get back, we'll award this week's horseshoes and hand grenades. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. It's time for horseshoes and hand grenades, and this week, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, it's going to be all horseshoes, and we look at things Colts fans should be thankful for. The first thing they should be thankful for is quarterback Jacoby Brissett. I, I would hate to imagine where this season would be without him, and I know they're 3-7 and seven as it is, uh, but there would be no hope. It would be all despair. It would be 2011 all over again. And as bad as things have gone this year, Jacoby Brissett has kept them from getting even worse. And he's made most games watchable. I mean, uh, they've had a couple of blowouts and a couple of, of really tough performances. But for the most part, they're in these games. He's had a halftime lead in seven of his nine starts. 
Uh, he's done probably as much as you could expect a 23-year-old quarterback who had no offseason with the team and no knowledge of the offense to do. And as we were talking about, what he gives you now is, is really important insurance as you wait to find out what's going to happen with Andrew Luck. I still believe that Andrew Luck will be back on the field next year for the Colts, but it's far from a foregone conclusion. It, it's a really complicated situation as everybody's perfectly aware of at this point. He's he's outside of the country trying to make sure that he gets that shoulder better any way he can. That, to know that you have a guy like Jacoby Brissett, who I believe can win in the NFL. I think teams can win with Jacoby Brissett. You're gonna it's gonna take longer than it does with Andrew Luck. You're gonna have to build more around him to help that happen. Uh, but this is a guy with some pretty special traits. We already know he's got an amazing arm. Uh, he's got some great athleticism, and I think Jacoby Brissett, of all the moves that Chris Ballard has made, that one right at the end of the, of, of the cutdown day, probably the biggest one he's, he's made so far and definitely the biggest impact on this otherwise forgettable season. And the second thing that Colts fans should be thankful for is the experience a young defense is getting. Yeah, you know, the defense has had its up and downs, but they legitimately have improved in the past three weeks. And I know everybody talking about that and it being written about a lot this week, they're probably going to go out and lay an egg because that seems to happen every single time. Uh, but this defense has legitimately improved. You see guys, especially in the secondary, young guys like Desir and Rashawn Melvin, who have really kind of come into their own and, and started to find themselves and their role in, their, in this team and in this league. Guys like Nate Harrison, who's been excellent as a, as a fifth-round pick, at, as a nickel cornerback. There's a lot to build on with this defense, and I think if they can continue to improve over the final six weeks, it's just something that you can work with into the offseason. Again, if you get Andrew Luck back, they have a chance to be a defense like nothing he's seen so far in his career. And we're not talking about even being a top 10 defense. If this is a top 15 defense, that's a major step up. Uh, I think he went to the to the AC Championship game with the 14th ranked defense, I want to say, in the league. So if they can get into that range and be there consistently, and the last three weeks they've looked very much like they can, uh, it's just a really good thing. And they, they're getting those mistakes. They're learning on the job. And it's a good thing for everybody involved. And the next thing fans should be thankful for is kicker Adam Vinatieri. He's ageless, right? I mean, we talked about it before. Immortal. Uh, it, it's incredible what he's been able to do. Uh, the number of 50-yard kicks that he hits is incredible. And here's a guy that, you know, if the game is close in the fourth quarter and they can get him in position – you know he's going to take care of business. You know he's going to make the field goal, and they're going to walk off with the victory. So uh, the one guy on this team who is a surefire Hall of Famer is Adam Vinatieri, and I think fans should be grateful that for at least six more weeks they get to see him kick with a horseshoe on his helmet. And another long-timer that uh, fans should be thankful for is Frank Gore. Yeah, you know – Frank Gore was telling a story in a locker room today, and I think this this goes a long way towards what his impact is on this football team. You know what he does in terms of the running game, and the numbers have not been terrific this year, but there's a lot of reasons for that, the way games have gone and, and usage and, and, and things of that nature. But he was talking about Thanksgiving, and his family's not coming up from Miami until Friday, so he's going to be free on, on Thursday for, for the holiday, and he's going over – 
to Marlon Mack's house. He's going to have Thanksgiving dinner with Marlon Mack and, and Mack's mom and some of the rest of that family. And it's just kind of part of that mentor kind of relationship. This is how much he likes that kid, how much he's trying to help bring along the rookie running back. To have a guy like that in your locker room is invaluable. And then for that guy to be 111 yards away from taking over the number five spot all time on the rushing list in NFL history, uh, you know, that's going to happen in the final six weeks as long as, as Frank stays healthy. Should happen in the next two to three weeks. And I think that's another one of those things. It's been a dark season. It's not been a lot of fun to watch. That's one of those things to wait for. Uh, Vinatieri's going in the Hall of Fame. I think Frank Gore will join him there in Canton one day. The only thing is, both of them have to retire first. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And the final thing that Colts fans should be thankful for is something that I think was one of the biggest question marks coming into the season. We did not know how this team was going to replace Pat McAfee. Um, you know, punting is an undervalued skill, um, but it's an, a very important part of the game. And for years, the Colts didn't have to worry about it. They knew Pat was going to boom the ball down the field, uh, and they knew that part of the game was strong. So when you're trying to replace a player that had that kind of impact um, with an unknown, you you just don't know what's going to happen. But Rigoberto Sanchez, he's made us not worry about it. He's done a great job. And you can go back before Pat even to Hunter Smith. The tradition of punting here in Indianapolis has been strong, and it, it was a – definite question mark coming into the season here's a guy who uh, special teams coordinator Tom McMahon gets all the credit for because first of all he's helped bring the rookie along and, and let him have you know helped him to have such a great season but he's the one that went out and I'm sure this was tough for him went out to Hawaii and found the kid and and really pushed and impressed upon Chris Ballard this is a guy we need to bring in you know, McMahon told him, I think this is a kid who can be a pro bowler. He's got that kind of a future. And Ballard was like, okay, brought him in as an undrafted free agent. And he beat out Jeff Locke during training camp. And it's been a great ride ever since. I mean, he's been able to, first of all, almost none of his punts get returned. It's incredible. Uh, his ability to, to take the return game away from opposing teams, which is a huge part of what made Pat McAfee so great. He's still got a long way to go to fill McAfee's shoes. We haven't seen him perform an onside kick yet, for instance. Uh, he hasn't completed a Thanksgiving Day pass to to tight end Eric Swope. I mean, there are things that Pat brought to the table that, that we knew were going to be gone from this football team. But to see Rigoberto do the main job that Pat had to, to, to punt, as well as he has, and also what he's done on kickoffs, has been able to handle that that part of the game as well. Uh, you can't ask for much more from a rookie, and I think he's a guy, when when you look at guys on this roster who are going to be here seven years from now, Rigoberto Sanchez is really high up on the list. He's a guy who seems to have locked down his position and, and really carried on that punting tradition here in Indianapolis. All right, that's it for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenade segment. A very happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. Uh, next week, we're going to recap this Titans game and look ahead to the game against the Jaguars. But, George, before we go... Can the Colts get back on the horse and start another winning streak against the Titans? Yeah, here's where I can finally get back into character. I've been optimistic all all night long, and, and it's probably freaking some people out. And, and here they can. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They should have won the first game, honestly, if they could finish that out. But I still I look at that 110-28 score in the fourth quarter, and it's tough for me to imagine – 
that to well it's not tough for me to imagine I know they can win games we've seen it happen uh, but I just feel like the Titans have so much to play for they're coming in here at six and four they're trying to make sure that they can wrap up an AFC wild card berth here in the final six weeks of the season and they're only a game behind Jacksonville in the division race so there's so much left for Tennessee to play for. They're coming off a really bad outing against the Steelers where Marcus Mariota threw four interceptions. I think they got beat 45-17, to 41-17, to 17, something like that. Uh, there's just a lot of reason for this to be an angry Titans team with a lot to prove. And again, I don't trust the Colts enough in the fourth quarter to win that game. I don't trust them at all either. So that's it for another week of horseshoes and hand grenades. Look for the next week's episode online at your local CNHI Sports Indiana website or on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. As always, you can get the latest Colts news, in-game updates, and analysis by following George on Twitter at GM Bremer. Until next time, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Billis Preston Esquire, and be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.